I'd like to welcome you once again to Graceland Baptist Church. My name is Ryan Brown, so I serve as one of the pastors here. And my primary focus here at Graceland is students. And I say this quite often, but being a student ministries pastor, it makes you feel really young connecting with students, right? Also makes you feel really old because they have so much more energy than, than you do. And this past month, I, I would say in, in my five and a half years at, at Graceland, it's been the, the busiest month in our ministry. Uh, it's been, been really cool. I think you could ask my wife and she would attest to that. Just a little over a month ago, we had our middle school all-nighter, um, which is always fun. God did amazing things there. That was the last time I was able to preach with you in, in our main services. Um, on the second, second week of October, I led a mission trip to Pittsburgh. Hopefully you've heard about Pittsburgh because God is doing some amazing stuff in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is one of the most underreached cities in all of North America. And so the North American Mission Board is planting a church there, and we, Graceland, get to be a part of that and come alongside transforming lives in Pittsburgh, which is really cool. Coming back from that, we had an event. It's our annual event called Fields of Faith. Um, it is where FCA groups, high school students, middle school students, churches, youth groups all come together at a public high school football field. Pretty cool. We sang praises to God. They had over 250 um, teenagers gathered there singing praises and hearing testimonies from these teenagers about what God's doing in and through our schools. Really cool stuff. And then last weekend, we took our high schoolers up to Indian Creek Baptist Camp. We had over 70 high schoolers up there. Um, it was amazing to see how God is transforming the lives of your high schoolers. So if you have one of those, ask them about how that went. Um, and all of, this, all of this is happening in the midst of us not having a lead pastor. And I just love how God's moving in our church. And for us to immediately have this emphasis of prayer shows the DNA of, of this church. And I just think it's so appropriate that when we announce and bring before you Larry Riley as our next lead pastor, that we conclude this series on prayer. So cool. And so before we get started then, I'd like for us to do that once again and, and bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne today expecting you to continue to move. You are so good to us. You deserve our praise. You deserve all glory. And today as we open up your word, teach us, God. Change us, move us, encourage us, challenge us. Pray that your words would speak and pierce the hearts of its hearers. I ask God that everyone in here, that their affections for Jesus Christ would either begin today for the very first time or that it would grow mightily because of the preaching of your word. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you are excited that the cold weather is here? A little bit cooler weather? Yeah. Some of you are excited. If that is you, I'm in that camp. I like colder weather to be able to throw on a little jacket, maybe a hoodie. It just makes me feel good. I like 50s and the temperature in the 50s with maybe a little bit of sunshine. That's my go-to. But how many of you are already feeling this fall, I guess kind of winter weather already a little bit, and thinking, man, take me back to summer? Anyone? Yeah. 
I feel like we're a little bit split, and that's kind of how our household is too, because my wife, Jenny, she loves the summer weather. In fact, I would suggest that she could probably take a trip to Florida and be on the beach like once a week. You know what I mean? Just spend a day on the beach. Anybody beach people? Yeah, beach all day. I, I like the beach. I'm just not very good at being still, you know? I think that's why God called me into student ministry. Like, I'm not good at being still. I don't like sitting and relaxing on the beach and, sweat, and sitting in my own sweat. I think it's gross. But, but if you hand me like a football or a frisbee, a volleyball on the beach, I'm okay with that. This past summer, uh, my family and I, we got to go down to Destin, Florida. It was such a wonderful trip to be there. And we spent many of those days just kind of hanging out on the beach. But one day in particular, something really cool happened, at least in my eyes, that brought about some excitement. We encountered two different sea creatures on the same day. Now, the first one is one that most of us probably see regularly when we visit the ocean. Um, jellyfish. Anybody like jellyfish? Yeah, I didn't think so. If you've ever been stung by a jellyfish, you know they're not that much fun. But they're sitting there floating on top of the water, coming at me, you know, all gingerly like this. And I, I see them. My kids have no idea, though, but I immediately, you know, without any panic, get them and, and head to the shoreline, which was a, a good idea. But about 30 minutes later, um, I notice as I'm looking down the beach that a lot of people are exiting the ocean, and whenever people are exiting the ocean, guess what you do? You exit the ocean, all right? So I got my kids once again, and we just get out. And the next thing I know, there is this black kind of shadowy figure going against the waves under the water along the shoreline. All right, so some people got out, people I guess braver than me, and they begin to follow along the shoreline on the beach to check it out and see what it is. Come to find out, it was a sea cow, okay? I have no idea what a sea cow looks like, but I wasn't about ready to find out. Um, but for, for today, as I was thinking through this, I thought, man, these two sea creatures are completely different in what was happening that day. You see the jellyfish, it would sit on top of the wind and the waves. And wherever the wind and the waves went, that's where the jellyfish went. At first, you might look at a jellyfish and think they're free. They're up on top and they're free. But then we see the sea cow, which I'm going to call a manatee because that sounds a lot better. You'll find out later when I ask you if you want to be a manatee. Um, but a manatee, on the other hand, it, it kind of goes against the current. It was fighting against the waves and moving on towards its destination with purpose. So this morning, I have a bit of a strange question for you. And as we conclude our our series on prayer, specifically about your prayer life. Are you more like a jellyfish? You find yourself um, a victim to how you feel. What kind of situation you're in determines what your prayer life looks like. Again, it may feel like you're free at times, but really you are bound by the wind and the waves. Or are you more like the manatee? going against the wind and the waves, cutting through the waves of emotion that you have, going against the current, and you're the commander of your own emotion. And in your prayer life, you're constantly pursuing a destination. This morning, we're going to look to the life of a man who did not allow the winds and the waves of his situation or circumstance influence his prayer life. And that man is Daniel. 
So if you have your Bible with you, please open up to the book of Daniel. We will be in chapter 6 and verses 10 and 11. And if you don't have a Bible with you, please, please, please grab the Bible in front of you. I would love for everyone to be opening up God's Word and reading from it for yourself. Um, it's the NIV translation, and I'll be reading from that translation so you can follow along with me. But let me set the stage as you're turning there. The year is 586 B.C., and at this, this time there is a king called Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king over Babylon. He decides to go and invade Palestine, which is where God's people are. This is where Daniel is. He's a young man with his friends. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to go in there and take all of the um, young people who have great prospect and take them back with him to Babylon. So that's what King Nebuchadnezzar does with Daniel and his friends. As we get to chapter 6, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has died. His son Belshazzar has taken over, and he has been killed as well at this point. And then King Darius, who is a Mede, receives the kingdom and becomes king. At this point, Daniel is pretty high, holds a high position in the kingdom because of his ability to interpret dreams earlier in the book. Now, right at the beginning of chapter 6, King Darius takes over. And then some people who want to get Daniel out of his high position, they draw up a decree which states that no one can pray to anyone except for the king for the next 30 days. They bring it to the king, and King Darius begrudgingly kind of signs this decree. At this point, we pick up, and this is Daniel's response to this decree. It says in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three, day, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. From Daniel's example, I want to share with you three ways that you can pray as an individual. From Daniel's example, I want to share with us three ways that we can pray as a body of believers. And the first one is this. We need to pray with audacity. We need to pray with audacity. We need to pray with boldness, with courage. We need to pray defiantly and daringly. Daniel's saying something very radical here when he prays. He says this, you will have to take my life before you will take my prayer away from me. Daniel's saying that it's more serious for you to take his prayer away than to take his life. Would you say the same thing about your prayer life? Would I say the same thing about my prayer life? I, I hope I would, but let's, let's unpack a little bit what Daniel does here, his response to this decree. What did he do? He, he first of all acts in full knowledge of the law and its consequences. And it says, immediately when it was signed in the NIV, it says, um, when he learned that the decree had been published. So there's no time that takes place. He goes right away and does this. That's what he did. What he could have done, he could have waited a little bit. He didn't have to go pray right away. Another thing he did, he went to his upstairs room where the windows are wide open for everyone to see. This is bold. This is audacious. You see, what he could have done, though, he could have went out to the woods to pray. He could have went to his private chambers 
to pray. The Bible doesn't say that, that God wants his people to pray like this out in the open so everyone can see. He just wants them to be obedient in prayer. But no, Daniel, he's audacious. He has the audacity to pray. Also, he prayed directly toward Jerusalem as he was commanded. He could have prayed in any other way, not letting people know that he was praying to his God, the one and true God. You see, if it were me, I don't know if I would have the courage and audacity to pray like Daniel. I hope I would. I may have been tempted, and you may be tempted if you're in Daniel's position to say something like this. God, you, I'm comfortable, and you've put me in this really great position. Or you may ask this question, wouldn't I be a, a more worthy follower and, and a better source of influence for you if you kept me alive? We rationalize this way, don't we? But Daniel here, he's not making, he's not just um, going against the law. He's making a point. He has the audacity to pray. He has the audacity to pray. So let me ask you this morning, how audacious is your prayer life? How bold are you when you pray for our students at school on the ball team? Are you praying before everyone? Are you praying in moments where you could be ridiculed? And for our adults, are you praying at work? Or maybe you work at a place too where faith isn't quite allowed. Are you being bold in your prayer life there? We must pray audaciously. Most people, unfortunately, will go to God in prayer with a spirit of timidness and fear, like the fear we talked about no, no longer being slaves to. But Daniel, he goes to God with a spirit of boldness and with a spirit of courage. In this situation, most people would just go to God seeking protection, like keep me safe during these next 30 days, Lord. Help me to hide out, to make it through these next 30 days. But Daniel, he approaches God with determination. On the cusp of a new day here at Graceland Baptist Church, I want us, and I want us to have the audacity to pray prayers that have never been prayed before. Amen, Amen to that. Yes, let us pray with a spirit of boldness. Let us pray with a spirit of determination. Let us pray that our church, our city, our state, our region, our nation would just be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes. But friends, if we dare for these things, if we really want these things to happen, it begins in prayer. It begins in our prayer lives. Second, second thing we learn here from Daniel is that we need to pray always. We need to pray always. It's not enough to pray with courage and boldness and audacity every now and again. When something bad happens, then I'm going to pray boldly. No. First Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing. Therefore, we must pray with discipline. We must pray consistently. We must pray always. Now, most scholars, they believe that Daniel, he is in his 70s at this moment in our text. He is in his 70s at this point in life. He has been exiled since he was a young man and a teenager. So the majority of his life, he's been really, or living under the, the thumb and rule of someone else that didn't believe in his God. He first had King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, then Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, and now he's got King Darius. And he's been made a high official, one of three at this time. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to look at scripture sometimes and think that things just happen one right after the other. Have you ever read scripture and thought that way? 
Like Daniel goes to Babylon. He decides he's not going to eat of the vegetables and the food. Then he gets a high position of power. He begins to interpret dreams. Um, Things are happening great for him. But then his friends get thrown in this fiery furnace. And then we think, okay, he decides to pray. And now he's going to go into the lion's den. But that's not how it happens. We've got 40, 50 years of Daniel praying every day so that when his lion's den moment came, he would be ready. Let's look at our text. Verse 10, it says, right after he hears this, he goes up to his upstairs room and what's he do? He gets down on his knees, he prays, he gives thanks to God. And if you like to underline in your Bible, which I love to do, underline these next words, just as he had done before. In the ESV, it says, um, it says, as he had done previously. You see, this was a habit for Daniel. This wasn't just a reaction to what was happening in his life at this moment. He was praying every day, all the time consistently, always. Just recently, well, I guess it's probably been six months to a year ago, did a sermon series in our, in our high school. Love this sermon series, but it had to do with how students deal with anxiety and stress and pressure and all this fear that comes. And I know that adults, I mean, I myself deal with these things. And we talked about how students, they have to have a habit of prayer. They need to be praying all the time, have this routine, being disciplined in prayer in order to respond to those stressful moments in life. To break this down, we looked at a book called The Habit Loop. And in this book, there are three things that can categorize most things that happen in our lives. The first one is a cue, C-U-E. The second one is your routine. And then the third one is your reward or your consequence. So you have a cue in life, you have a routine or response to that, and then you either get a reward or a consequence. Let me give you some examples to to make this a little bit clearer for you. First of all, if you're hungry, that would be a cue that all of us experience in life. Generally, for most of us, what's our routine? It's to eat food. Pretty typical, right? Now, the reward from eating food is, is that you're full, you have energy. Sometimes if you eat the wrong kinds of food, there can be a consequence, which we won't talk about, right? But another good example is when you have kind of a film over your teeth, all right? You got some nastiness going on. Maybe you wake up in the morning, you have bad breath, all right? That's a cue that all of us have. And then most of our responses would be to brush your teeth, all right? And then the great reward would be that you have nice smelling breath. And that's a great reward for everyone that tries to get in your bubble, right? So, Let's unpack this, though, in the life of Daniel. And let's unpack this using a very popular verse, which I absolutely love, in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul tells us this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful part of scripture. So our cue, one that we all experience is anxiety, fear, stress, pressure. We all experience this. I guarantee you that when that decree was signed, that was Daniel's response in his heart was fear, anxiety. How am I going to do this, God? That was his cue. Our routine to these things, Paul tells us should be to what? Go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. And this is exactly what Daniel does because he had a routine of prayer. He had a habit of prayer. And finally, Paul tells us that our reward or our consequence 
when we have these things happen, when we go to God in prayer, will be a peace that surpasses all understanding. That will be our reward. And I'm sure that Daniel had this peace despite the fact that he could be killed for what he was about to do. Now for you, what's your routine? When you're like that jellyfish and on top of the wind and the waves and the situation is just controlling you, oftentimes your routine is just going to be to try to medicate, maybe drugs or alcohol, or just to escape, get away from it, turn to any type of vice that this world has to offer. And your consequence from that will be detrimental. But if you're like Daniel, if you have a habit of prayer, if your response is always to go to God in prayer, when anything happens in life, the reward that you will receive is a peace that surpasses all understanding. The decree did not define Daniel's character. It revealed it. This transition in the life of our church does not define our character. It reveals it. And it reveals it because you know what happened as soon as this pulpit was emptied, we prayed. We had an emphasis on prayer. Not because it's just a reaction to something that happens in bad times, because it's part of the DNA of this church. It's part of the discipline of this church to go to God in prayer. So I think Billy Graham says it perfectly. True prayer is a way of life, not just in not just for use in cases of emergency. Make it a habit. And when need arises, you will always be in practice. So this morning, maybe you came in today and you are just broken. You are beaten. You're struggling. Pray. You're hurting. You're fearful. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know how you're going to make it through. Pray. Or maybe for you, you've come in this morning and life is amazing. You're encouraged. Guess what you should do? Pray. You've come in and you are looking forward with great expectation to how God is going to continue to move through our church as we look to bring on a new lead pastor. And so guess what you do? You pray. If you're thankful like I am, because God sits on the throne, guess what you do? Pray. So let's pray always. And finally, third thing we see from Daniel is, is that we should pray with assurance. Pray with great assurance. Daniel knew that he wasn't alone. Verse 11 says that he asked for help. He asked for strength. The ESV says he makes a petition and a plea before God. Because of who God is, Daniel has assurance that God will lead him in this time. God has led Daniel throughout his entire life. The 70 years leading up, to this point in life, and he has assurance that God will lead him now. Did you know that Daniel's name means God, my judge, or God is my judge? Absolutely love that. And I think that Daniel grows into this name throughout the entire book, especially in these first six chapters. Take a look at a couple examples with me. Chapter one, verse two, Daniel's writing this book and They've been exiled. He's been exiled as a young man. Some of our, you have teenagers, my students, you know what I mean, that are in our student ministry. Imagine them being taken from their homes into another country, enslaved. And how does Daniel say that this happened? He says that God has delivered them over to these people. God has delivered him to these people. It's because God is sovereign. God's in control. This is God's plan. He has assurance in God. Verse eight, Daniel doesn't eat of the food because it will defile him because of what God believes and what God 
things. Chapter two, verse 27, Daniel begins to interpret dreams. No one in all of the kingdom can interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And they all, they all bring Daniel before him. And Daniel says, King, I can't do it either. But I have a God that can. I have a God that can. The God of heaven is the only one that could reveal these mysteries. You see, all of these things weren't Daniel things. They were God things. Daniel had assurance in his God, in God's power, in his sovereignty, in his might. And Daniel does the same thing when he comes to God in prayer. If we want to know what God thinks, we must consult him, right? And he wanted to know what God thinks because he had assurance that God's plan was much better than his own. Later in the story, Daniel would go to the lion's den. We're familiar with this part of the story. He didn't know that he would be safe from the lions, but he knew that his God was in control. He knew that his God was sovereign and he had assurance that all would be as God planned. Then chapter six, verse 23, a familiar verse. It says that no wound was found on him because he has trusted in his God. John Piper says it this way about how we need to have assurance in our prayer life. He says, prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help that we need. You see, prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Daniel's power to face the lion, the lions came through his prayers. Our power to face the coming days in the life of this church will come through our prayers. So thankful that we have a DNA of prayer. And I believe that we will receive power from the Holy Spirit. We will receive great assurance and next steps because Jesus Christ is on the throne. I know this. And I don't know about you, but do you want to be a part of a church that prays? Do you want to be a part of a church that prays? Yes. Yes. So, so in these coming days, in these coming weeks, as we transition to a new lead pastor and as we look to the future with great expectation, let's pray audacious pray, prayers, okay? Let's pray like we've never prayed before. Let's pray for revival. Let's pray for the lost to be found. Let's pray for the hurting to be healed. Let's pray for the broken to find strength. And let's pray that God's glory would be revealed at the very center of all of it. Let's consistently pray. Let's continue to make prayer a part of who we are, a part of our culture. And when times are tough, when things are bad, when we're in the midst of the wind and the waves, we don't act like the jellyfish, but we're more like the manatee fighting against the waves because our circumstance doesn't determine whether or not we pray. It's the power of our God that determines whether or not we pray. And so I want to be part of a church, and I know you do too, that you want to be part of a church that has assurance in our prayers, all because who Jesus is. And I want to be part of a church that prays and says, just like Daniel, you will have to take my life before you take my prayer.